Welcome back, everybody, to Rain on Your Parade with J.O. Covan. I am J.O. Covan. I'm sitting in studio with my, I would say, friend. I think we've been doing this long <laughs> enough. <laughs> Producer, co-host, everybody's favorite part of the show, Mike. Hello, Mike. Hi, everybody. Hi, J.L. How's it going? Once again, say hi, J.L. first. We go in ranking here. We don't do the high pro... We don't say hi plebeians and and then hello king whatever you say friend thank you <laughs> um on my way here i saw a poster i'd forgotten about this movie but it's coming out in theaters i think for a oscar qualifying run and then to netflix bradley cooper's new movie uh bernstein mm-hmm. about leonard bernstein or bernstein or you know he was one of the bears i believe also people don't talk about that but he was both a cartoon bear and jl that's baron's shut up okay shut up he had a hell of a career that leonard yeah yeah it's 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 i mean you don't see that's kind of a bo jackson sort of existence like um in the composer conductor category and in beloved animated bears let's see winnie the pooh do a fucking orchestra yeah is that what they call it do an orchestra I think that's what they call the, that's what they say the slutty cellist does. She (laughs) does an orchestra. Could be a man also. Could be a man also. Or they. This is an inclusive podcast. But I saw a poster for it. And I got to say, I still don't think the nose is particularly, like, particularly egregious. Like, in other words, if he's using prosthetics, it's not, he's not rocking Toucan Sam level, which, by the way, was the first choice (laughs) to play Leonard Bernstein. But. When I saw the poster on my way here in the subway, I thought, oh, yeah, that movie. And then I thought, remember like three months ago when that was trending on Twitter because that was the big anti-Semitism issue? I, I do. Yeah. Um, I think some of it had to do with the fact that uh, I don't think Leonard Bernstein's nose was even close to that big. So I think that the overall thinking was like, how did some producer or some costume? But they got the horns just right. <laughs> it's it's a tough time for a horns joke with the Jews. I got to be honest. <laughs> I meant the horns section. Oh, I see what you did. It's an orchestra my, movie. My money wasn't. My mind wasn't in that. Uh, that gutter? No, of course not. And I mean, in modern times, who could think anybody would would even be remotely anti-Semitic? These By the days? way, mo- the the educated comedy fan thinks that I have the best air trumpet in the game. You've told me, yeah. Well, I was looking for you to confirm that, not to confirm that I've told the story. I was looking for you to confirm the fact that I do. But obviously, it's good. Obviously, we're gonna have another meeting with HR after this episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I it was it dawned on me, and I'm not one of those people who's like stop complaint like that only a massacre is worthy of discussion but it did yeah. draw in great contrast that like three months ago it was like have you seen bradley cooper's nose oh my god what is going on so my question is very simple did bradley cooper order hamas to attack israel he's got friends in high places that bradley cooper well, he's no Garth Brooks. <laughs> Why would Garth Brooks do? Well, he's got friends in low places. <laughs> oh. Yeah. It's Somebody a Garth. I kill got me. friends <laughs> in low places. I ruin country music to all your faces. Um, yeah, it's just what it was one of those things that don't like not you could make a profound point or you could make a, a flippant point, but it was just like, you know. 
think of who benefits from what happened. And I'm like, Bradley Cooper is obviously a pretty big power player. Mm-hmm. Um, and we haven't talked about his nose once until this podcast. And that's why people come here because the they're like, JLC is behind the lies and gets to the hard truths. So my question simply for Bradley Cooper, if he's listening, which I, I've heard he does from time to time. Right. Did you order the code red? I'm just saying, I think it's, I think it's a question that nobody's asking and we should be asking, um, you know, red pill, right? We're red pilling people right now. I think, I think, you know, and that's what alpha bros do. Yeah. We told people. Yeah. They didn't believe there were some skeptics. They were like, jail, you keep promising alpha bro content. You keep promising the porn stars, but I don't see them. Well, you just got your first dose of alpha bro uh, podcasting. And yeah. I bet it feels good. But uh, I look forward to seeing that movie. Um, I played, and by the way, I might be part of the problem because when I was on Billions, I played a Jewish character. Okay, Darren Rusikoff. And I had to blow a shofar in the, in the so I was doing real Jewish stuff. Like that's that horn, that's the horn, not the one on Bernstein's head, but the, but I couldn't really do it. So they had to add sound effects. So I'm not even, the point is, um, anti-Semitism hurts me as somebody who's played a Jewish person. It hurts me just as much as it hurts the Jewish community. So I stand in total solidarity, but my question is very simple. Bradley Cooper, where were you on October 7th? And can we see your emails? You know, Mm -hmm. that's it. That's it. And if you have nothing to hide. You know, we'll just enjoy your movie on Netflix with no problem. <laughs> but I think I'm asking the question that needs to be asked that a lot of people aren't asking. So, um, yeah, that's it. That's all. That was just my opening thought. That's JL's opening thought. Do we have graphics for that yet? Not yet. <laughs> Working on it. Mike's just happy that my opening thought wasn't 19 minutes long. Yeah. Okay. I am happy about that. Actually, Finally, when I'm shitting on myself, I get robust agreement from Mike. Seven minutes was enough. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I have James Harden producing my podcast, just completely attacking the team from within. Um, I want to talk about a couple of things. First of all, my nephew made first team all league in soccer, very competitive uh, New Jersey uh, soccer league. Now we wait for county and state. Uh, he was, I think that he was the, he was the only junior from his team, I believe, that made first team all, all conference. Good for him. Um, so yeah, he's, he's, he's real good at soccer and we were, I was very pumped to see that. Um, not so pumped to see some of the players from the racist team. Um, I'm sorry. It's New Jersey soccer, the most racist team also making first team, but it was inevitable because some of them, Hey, sometimes racists have talent and I'm not one of those people who will say, you know, Ted Cruz is an idiot. Well, no, he's not. He's a terrible person, but he's actually very smart. Hmm. So, you know, whether it's Ted Cruz or racist high school soccer players in New Jersey, I, I don't deny them when they do something good. I just get upset when they do. Um, but last night, Mike, are you a fan of the theater? I love the theater. Yeah, you do. I love the theater, too. And and I felt like I see all sorts of things. I like my classical theater. I like my my award winning theater, et cetera. But sometimes if something gets good reviews, I'll see the mass market, the thing that kind of offends. Uh, and last night was one of those nights. I saw Back to the Future, the musical, which still sounds odd to say. It still sounds a little offensive to just be like, because there was a movie called Hamlet 2. Did you see Hamlet 2? I loved it. Hamlet 2 is one of my favorite comedies Steve ever. Coogan, right? 
Steve Coogan yeah. delivers and the South Park guys. Yes. Yeah. They, I great. think they were like some of the South Park guys were like in a production yeah. state. They didn't write it, I yeah, don't yeah, think. Yeah. But Hamlet 2, everybody, if you haven't seen it, is an absolutely Im- incredible comedy. Steve Coogan's performance is like one of my 20 favorite performances He's ever. He's really, really funny in that. He's yeah. so good in this. Uh, Dana Mars. And in the movie, which was which came out in theaters in 2008, he plays a drama teacher in, I believe, Tucson, Arizona. It's yeah, it's like he's it's, in Arizona. It's, it's, I forget. It's kind of like waiting for Guffman, sort of. It's and I, no offense to Christopher Guest, better. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. It's and it, but it's not an unscripted thing. Yeah. It's it's very scripted. But it's he is a a a down and out drama teacher in I believe Tucson, Arizona, and his gimmick with his classes every year he adapts a movie into a musical. This is how far we've come in fifteen years. That premise alone was like comical. Yeah. Now that's what we do. Yep. And 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 Mike and I off mic last week had a, had a very interesting discussion about art in general and where it's headed. And we don't have to get into the, all that, but but there were some some. To sum things, it up, it wasn't positive. It was not positive. <laughs> and it's one of those things that we've discussed how we do video components for the podcast, and it's just a necessary evil now if you want to grow anything or even just get noticed. And there was a mo- there was a time where it was like, oh my god, they're making a musical out of blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there were a lot of talented playwrights and musical r- theater folks, uh, gays. I'm sorry, um, <laughs> who who would would say absolutely not. I've written a great original piece. Like I'm not adapting SpongeBob SquarePants or blah 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 Shrek Shrek. I'm not doing that. And then eventually the dollars dictated. And those were the things that would get produced because they felt they were, the, the producers were confident in a return on their investment. Well, can I also add, I do think that one of the caveats to this mm-hmm. is that a handful of those adaptations early on were critically acclaimed, like sure. specifically The Lion King. Oh, which sure. Has been running for 20 years, yes. probably something yes. like that. So you had a couple of cases like that where like the Lion King, they went on stage, they did something that was a little, it's sort of the similar, same story, but they did something visually. Of course. Yes. Like, like different. And that was kind of like a first for Broadway. But now, yeah, it's, it's, you know, Shrek the musical. It's, you know, the producer, same thing. Great, great adaptation, possibly better than the movie, you know, anyway. Yeah. Well, no. And that's the, the. So you're in this this dilemma where it's like, well, this isn't real theater, but it's like at some point, if the work is on these things, then maybe it is good. Like some of these things are good because you can be a starving artist or you can be a good artist who's getting money, right. who's, who's getting paid. And at least I feel like the more of these things you see popping up, the more you're like, well, well this isn't being written by some hack. They're getting good because the money and the avail the work is in some of these projects. So I, I was getting some shit from people like about Back to the Future of the Musical. And I go, well, I've heard it's good. It might stink. It might not. But I'm going to see it because it might be good. And I'm interested. And I've heard good things, at least visually. So I see it last night. And my overall review of it is it was mostly enjoyable. There were a couple of performances that I thought were outstanding, a couple that I didn't like. I thought the music early on for a musical, this is a kiss of death. I thought the first three or four songs were not good. 
which is sort of stunning. Were they like 80s kind of style? Like, what was the vibe? No, it was very like... Right. You know. Yeah. Like, so you got to... With the, so I me and me and me and Laura looked at each other and we're kind of like uh oh like have we been fooled have we been duped but the effects the the stagecraft it's going to be Tony nominated for its stage work and it's it's not really called effects but you know their their production design absolutely yeah, production. might win yeah uh, I think the guy who plays George McFly uh, should probably get a nomination for featured actor um, but what was weird is first the lead actor and the guy playing George McFly were basically doing incredible impressions of Michael J. Fox and Crispin Glover. Yes. Which I thought was weird because it's like, well, this is a chance to like make the character in your own image and they're kind of copying them. And, and especially in the case of Michael J. Fox, that's a pretty bold. That's it's one of his most, if not his most iconic role. And it's pretty bold, even though he did a good job in person. I mean, you could have just done your own thing. Um, but, the guy who played Dot that now now, but the overall, we left the show pretty happy. Like I'd say a thumbs up. It's not like, oh my God, run out and see Enjoyable. this right away. But thumbs up. Not overall. a bad night. Yeah. They dug yeah. themselves a hole with with some bad opening songs, which you never expect. Uh, but overall, thumbs up. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up and why it's such a good, a good topic to kick off the show uh, for Rain on Your Parade is we've already talked about manners on a previous episode. But wait, we didn't really get into theater too much. I think we may have talked about people's wardrobe at theater, maybe during fashion, maybe during manners episode. But there are specific instructions before the play because it's sort of the design is kind of proprietary and kind of part of the appeal and the secret. You know, like, hey, like, whoa, there's, there's a lot of like st- stage work. Well, they specifically say no photography. Because they know people might want to take three different people I saw taking photos with their cell phones, including the woman right in front of me um, filming scenes, which I was disgusted by. But you know what? This is the world we live in. And then in the first 30 minutes of the play, the man, the actor playing Doc Brown, who, if you look him up, is like somebody with a lot of stage credits. I think he's been Tony nominated. I've seen him in many shows, like in guest roles on shows. I didn't know he was a Broadway guy until seeing him here. He holds up something for Marty to see. And a woman about five rows in center orchestra raises her hand, raises her hand and goes, can you show it to me? I can't see it. And Laura grabbed my leg because in in this like instinctive, what the fuck are we watching right now? Yeah. The look this actor, and I apologize, I, I have the playbill, I, for, his name escapes me right now. The look he gave her, he broke character for about two seconds. It was like Homelander on the boys. <laughs> like if he had the ability to laser her to death, her head would have exploded right there. Yeah, He took a beat and I could tell he considered saying, are you fucking kidding me? The actor, the uh, actor, Casey likes. No, that's not him. Doc Brown. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah, let's let's give him his, his rage flowers. <laughs> uh, I think it's Roger Bart. Yes, yes, yes. It is right. Yes. Um, re- like he just he was looking at Marty, like looking in the in a different direction. So he had to pivot. Who, by the way, Roger Bart, like a serious, uh, um, acclaimed, right. accomplished Broadway actor. Yes, and and I didn't. I had recognized him from TV things. Yes, 
Yeah. Until I and I looked at the play. Was, and so this is somebody who is serious about the work. hundred percent. Yes. Even though it's a fun, it's fun. Just like I'm serious about stand up. It's stand up is not supposed to be serious, but I'm serious about it. Right. That's why I'm mediocre at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this guy is a, is this is, and, and I think when you're in, in your performance, you are trying to get lost in your performance, in your character. Yes. And I bet you for a second, you don't even know why you're being interrupted. And it's probably jarring. You probably feel some anxiety. You might feel a shot of anxiety that then turns to rage. The look he gave her, I was like, I feel seen. <laughs> yeah. He was, and I, and I was just like, what, you know, I immediately turned into sort of, you know, Sebastian Maniscalco, of course. And I was like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Like, I, I, I didn't get the reaction quite from you. But a woman, a grown woman, like like in her 50s nope. or 60s, hey, raising her hand to interrupt. What the fuck? Matt Reif is not on stage <laughs> ruining comedy, ma'am. <laughs> save it. Save it for Radio City Music Hall when, when, when a bunch of sad women who don't know good comedy from their fucking assholes are screaming like Tom Jones is in the house. Yeah. Um, save it for that. Yeah. This is a play, not a Matt Reif experience. Yeah. Well, listen, man, we, uh, growing up, I used to hear stories because we, that was the, one of the one indulgences my, my mom really liked for us to have, uh, when I was in like middle school and high school, she would take us to shows. We'd go into the city. I saw the producers with like the original cast and everything. Oh, nice. And I think if you are somewhat local, uh, New York, Connecticut, just try state or whatever, you get the, uh, etiquette down when you go to the theater. Uh, you're, you know, obviously you're a New Yorker. Shorts, like, Crocs, right, talk. Right. So this was the thing when I would, when I was a kid, we like we dressed to go to the theater, not in a tuxedo, but we would. My mom wanted to make sure that we had. My mom would wear a dress. My dad would wear like slacks. Absolutely. I would have to wear slacks or whatever. Like it was a real serious thing, especially at that time. Like that was at the time where Broadway tickets were getting to be a hundred dollar tickets, right? which was, was new in like 2001, 2002, you know? And I think that there's so many people or show like back to the future specifically. Part of the reason you put that show on is because you're trying Absolutely. to win over the nostalgia ticket from people that are visiting New York. Yeah. And the masses go. like you're, you want right. a broadly appealing show. I get it. It's, it's not Ibsen or, right. or Shakespeare or some shit. Exactly. Right. Or a black box theater or something like that. You're not going to see like experimental yeah. uh, uh, theater. But, and unfortunately, I mean, I think that the like society at large is decaying, which is a larger conversation, but you also have, you know, there's not a big theater culture in some of the places that these people are visiting from. Of course. You know what I mean? In fact, they're anti-theater because that's right. where they make your kids gay. Right. <laughs> yes. I, I think one of the issues, and now, I was not even, I'm not even complaining about, I went, you know, Laura's in a dress. I was in slacks, shoes, and a button down shirt. It's driving me nuts. You have no idea. The microphone is driving me nuts. But it keeps tipping away I'll, from We'll fix me. it during the break. Okay, but. good. Good job. <laughs> anyway. Hey, guys. How are you? I got a big microphone in my mouth. Um, it, I wouldn't even question the, the, the dress of people at it. Like, when you make Back to the Future the musical... You go in sneakers and jeans or a short, even short. I'm like, this is a fun time. I get it. 
this is as this is like half mu- Broadway musical, half Universal Studios theme park ride. Yes. So I get that. Exactly. That wouldn't have been a complaint because we're not seeing high theater. It's not death of a salesman or yeah. something. But the etiquette of people, like, but it's still like what has happened to people? Like you that's it's that's the worst thing I've seen yet at a theater. So bad that I question whether the woman was having an episode or was like an older person having a, a senior moment. And I'm being serious because if it wasn't, that's, I've, what are you, you're asking a question of somebody in a musical. Yeah. But all right, listen, here's part of the other thing too. Uh, Roger Bart certainly didn't fucking like it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not defend. Listen, I'm on Roger Bart's side. Trust me. (laughs) Believe me. Um, but don't ask if, Roger Bart is on our side. <laughs> Ask if we are on Roger Bart's side, if I can paraphrase a Lincoln quote. Yeah, that, that's right. I, I think that made sense. Um, I think that we're in a place when uh, these tickets start getting so expensive. Uh, people with no class who spend a lot of money on a ticket. Can I ask how much was your ticket to Back to the Future? It was a, uh, it was a gift. Um, so... If I had to guess, I'd say they were like 120, 130 a pop. Yeah. Okay. So, and if she, but if she sent her orchestra like fifth row, those are usually premium seats. So you're yeah, probably talking about bucks. at least, at least 200, yeah. at least. Yeah. So if, if someone paid two to $300 and they don't necessarily have etiquette or because as Countess class, Luann said on the Real Housewives of New York, money can't buy you class. That's right. <laughs> um, I do think I do wonder if the the consumer at large thinks that they spend two hundred dollars to three hundred dollars on something that they can do and act however they want because they've spent a bunch of money for the evening to have fun and your fucking etiquette and rules are not going to get in the way Man. of me having fun. I want to see every angle of that stage, Roger Bart. I want to see like. I think it's a stupid way to, to, but this is kind of our off air conversation that we had last week, you know, define what special is now, right? Like, what do you do in your life that feels special enough that you have respect for it? Right. And I think that when I was growing up, the theater was certainly one of the last places where it was just like, wow, isn't this special? Isn't this an amazing thing to be a part of? There's, there's Nathan Lane, like, you know, like right in front of me, just doing his his fucking his thing. And and like that was overwhelming as as a as a 12 or 13 year old. Whenever I saw the producers, that was like life changing to see that and just be like, you became a podcast producer because <laughs> of the producers. Well, but like even pursuing stand up or pr- sure. like pursuing show business, like. Not that the producers was a was a stand up production, but like that was something that definitely pushed me in a direction where I was like, I think I want to do something like this. This is incredible and amazing. Right. And I don't know if everybody feels that way when they see something Uh, like I think some people just are like, I feel like I kind of know this IP. 
Back to the Future, like, like, cool. That's I want to do Broadway and like this is the best of both worlds. And I'm going to give you 150 bucks and I'm just going to act the way however I want to act. It goes yeah. back to the Bobert thing, kind of, doesn't well, it? Well, and I believe me, when I started groping Laura during the Back to the Future, <laughs> and she smacked my hand away. I said, you'll never be a congresswoman with that attitude. <laughs> By the way, I don't blame Where's your her, vape, Dave. lady? I don't blame. I don't blame. You know, Lauren Bobert, I, you know, at. If if it's the I'm fine I'm fine with what you not the vaping no no I'm, and I'm the, not even getting the on sex her. play in front of kids totally fine if you're a hot congresswoman <laughs> I'm okay with it I just mean I think I think people have that mindset now where it's just like uh, I don't know if it's like a post pandemic thing and you just do so much in your home but it's one of the reasons that I think like to use the word content a word that we both hate <laughs> like the reason that a lot of the stuff that gets made now doesn't really feel special is because it's 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 kind of not. Right. Like it's just put on the the streamers or put out so you it's, can just like watch it and move it's, on. It's algorithmic kibble. Right. The way I feed Cookie and she's excited for her meal. Seven, 7,500 7, straight meals of kibble. Oh, shit. Kibble? Yeah, right. You just got to keep feeding it. No right. offense, Cookie. I love you. Yeah. Um, but and I thought about this in the broader sense of because I'm I'm, you know, I'm I'm a five to six Broadway plays and shows a year guy. That's a, that's yeah. But this year, I, you know, after losing my job, I, yeah, that's why she got the tickets. I was like, you know, I've been picking up the slack on Broadway shows. You mind getting this one? Yeah. And, but I try to mix it up. I'll see a big critically acclaimed mass market show. Not because I'm like, I really want to see the wire, the musical, but if it got like a gold star, how insane would that be? It's coming. (laughs) Um, Omar's coming Omar's coming he's got a shotgun and he sucks some dick Omar's coming pow (laughs) he got him and he robbed their drugs (laughs) good Um, lord his name is his name and his name is Marlo his name is his name he wants his corners (laughs) (laughs) look out Bodie you're not one for this world cause Marlo is his name. <laughs> oh no, it's the white season. It's the one on the docks. No one cares. What the fox? <laughs> uh, oh man. Uh, it's season two. It doesn't mean much, but you need it for the last scene of the show. There you go. Yeah. Uh, love it. Anyway, yeah, that was the wire, the musical. Get, they, uh, send me your checks, uh, producers, <laughs> if you want to talk. Let's get this done. Um, but I, I see a mix. I see a mix of stuff. But I've, of course, if I see like, hey, there's a big play I've never seen, or I, like, and and I've missed. You miss some. You you know, it's sad when you're like, oh no, that won't be around for another twenty years now. But I remember seeing Audra McDonald in um, Ohio State Murders. And it was this critically acclaimed play that was being produced for the first time. She's a six-time Tony winner, the most ever. Like Meryl Streep of, yeah. of, of stage, of Broadway. Theater was, I, I saw it like close to its opening. It was like theater was half empty. It closed early. And I was just like, there aren't even enough people artistically curious. Because I was, I was just like, I don't know what this is about. You tell me it's got good reviews. 
It's starring this kind of modern legend of theater. Yeah, I'll it's, go see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and if I'm surprised, if I'm pleasant, if I, I love it, great. If I don't, well, you know, you, you don't always win. As, as Sebastian Asako described, going into an ice cream shop, he goes, I don't do samples. You just, you get it. You, 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 <laughs> you like ice cream? What's that? I'll have that. And then I don't do samples. What's this? But, you know, it was, it, it, if you're Audrey McDonald, I complain all the time about my comedy. And why don't my fans like, if you're like a legend and it's like, we couldn't, we couldn't sell a fucking theater. Like what's going on? Like this wasn't going to be Hamilton where it lasts for, for 15 years or yeah. 20 years. This is a limited run, but I'm a legend. It's a critically acclaimed play. Where is everybody? Um, it was I, empty when you saw it, not empty, oh. but it was like, even the orchestra wasn't full. No shit. And I saw it pretty early in the run. Not like when it was tapering off. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just a weird thing because even as a kid, I just feel like Broadway was a bigger deal. Like in our lifetimes, Broadway was a bigger deal culturally, aesthetically. Like, like it was, like I said, I, I just feel like I'd feel weird unless I had an injury going to a Broadway play in sneakers. Well, dude, I think, I do think the ticket price is a part of it. And I think that the but reason I think it's weird that the ticket price doesn't let people know this is important. Like, no, but this is what I think happens. I think that. I think it ju- it's just like movies. Like the whole thing in movies now is is about getting as much IP as you can, and that's the value. Like the the value is not in the actual movie; it's <sighs> about having Barbie, you know. And it's just like this is going to make us half a billion dollars. Well, thank because- God they made a good movie. I I really liked Barbie. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they made a good movie. I'm not even sh- I'm not shitting on it. Right, I'm just, right, right. I'm just saying it's like because Mattel- they didn't have to. The problem is they probably didn't have to make a good movie. Yeah, they, they didn't. They, I think it was just like they had Margot Robbie. She looks like Barbie. They're, the, you know, they had people involved that I think got women excited. That's a different conversation. I th- the point that I'm trying to get to is that now Mattel says Mattel, a toy company, not a not a production house, a toy company says we had a huge hit with Barbie. What else can we make? Can we make Hot Wheels into a movie? Can we make and they're going to do a Polly Pocket movie? It's the same thing on Broadway, well, dude. Well, the guy, That's why there is a Back to the Future musical. But I don't it, mind. I'm sorry to interrupt, but, yeah. but on the Mattel issue, I don't mind when businesses act like businesses. But it's like when art when there's not enough power among artists to push back and be like, it's still got to be art. Like Mattel, the guy who the, the I think he's like the, I read an article about it. I think he's an Israeli guy who who kind of became yes. the head of Mattel, and he said. We're not a toy company. We're, we're an we're, IP yes. company. Yeah. And hey, great business decision. Yes. You're like, and toys to me are not sacred. They're sacred in no. terms of our nostalgia. But y- whatever you can make from a toy, a toy is like flour. You can make a cake. You can make, I don't know what else you make with flour. A lot of stuff. Bread. Bread. <laughs> you can make a lot of stuff. But but like toys are almost like a, an ingredient. They're not like in and of themselves a be all end all leave it sacred but the th- i think the issue jl is that we're working backwards now as yeah. opposed to yeah. as opposed to somebody saying like yeah they can they can take gi joe and they i mean they haven't yet but like they could take gi joe and turn it into art and yeah. turn it into like something cool and interesting but it it used to be the reverse where yes. you you made star wars first Right. And then you got the toys from yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. Like you would write the fucking thing first. And now the same thing's happening. Not like all over. They're still, they're still your Hamilton. But even Hamilton. I mean, Hamilton is a historical fictionalized play based off of a Chernow biography. Oh, very good. Of, good Chernow drop. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know what's going on. Hey, Ron. Uh, but like. Fan it, of the show. You know, again, that's not, that's not IP, like hard IP. Yeah. It's inspired, you know, but 
that's kind of the name of the game now. You start with Back to the Future and you say how like this will entice what like if we have to justify a hundred fifty dollar ticket, right? There are, people are probably more likely to people from out of town are more likely to go see this fucking thing than they are to see you know the boys in the band or something like yeah. that. Yeah, which will have like a set like a two month run, and, and they'll have to off. stack it with Hollywood right. actors. Like like there's all all the compromises in the world that have to be made, and I I. You know, I look at certain professions as much as I bitch and moan about stand up comedy, and there's plenty to be genuinely like disgusted by about yeah. the future of, of the, uh, the, the abomination, the apocalypse that is stand up comedy. Yeah. But man, theater, if I were like a real, you know, a playwright not named fucking David Mamet, yeah. I'd be like, what am I doing? Like, I'm making good work and I can't, like, I got to like travel to independent theaters, which are, by the way, losing financing. Yeah. So it's like you're in. And that's what I've always said. I don't like opera and I'm not a big fan of ballet. But there is a part of me that's just like my my Laura and her mom, especially her mom is a big opera person. Sometimes I just want to be like, let me go again, because I bet you that's one of those spaces. And, and then you'd have people complaining that maybe it's too old and white. But no. Well, opera, I think that there there are it, it's since it's not such a hot ticket mainstream thing, it's like a kind of like, like elitist exclusive. I don't even want to use the word elitist, but yeah. like an exclusive New York thing because of Lincoln Center or whatever. Right. There are new operas. There are, and they're not like, it's not like, uh, you know, the Grinch, the opera. It's, you know what I mean? It's like, it's people are actually writing new things. There was, a, there was one that I wanted to see and I forget what it was now, but my girlfriend is, is formerly a ballet dancer. So she goes to a belly dancer ballet. I'm kidding. Oh, all right. I thought you actually misheard me, <laughs> but I don't miss her. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think you're right. That is one of the spaces that's sort of untouched by just like, cause it doesn't have to be, I don't think it was ever a, uh, a business commercialized the way that Broadway right. ha- wh- has been. And, and ballet know? similarly, like there'll be a, the occasional thing, but mostly it's like you either ca- like, even if it's, if you have to put up with a little snobbery, but it's like, but there is something nice about a formality and, and, and an art yeah. frozen in time because art has an eternal quality to it when it's respected and, and, and there's a preservation to it. Right. It's like a, it's a classic sort of thing that's, that, that right. I don't think, I mean, hasn't been revolutionized at least to the, to the minds of the, the, the ple- plebeians like us. I right. wouldn't know the difference between ballet dancing now and ballet dancing in Russia in 1780 or something. Right. And there, there's there. It's 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 a weird thing because, of course, you could have criticisms of both those worlds, I assume. But at the same time, it's like, but the art is preserved. And uh, I know there were people saying, dude, you went to Back to the Future, the musical. What did you expect? And I go, right. not a woman to ask questions mid show to the actors. Yeah, if right. you if I saw a guy wearing Crocs in front of me, I wouldn't even be talking about it right now. I'd be like, hey, it was Back to the Future, the yeah. musical. But excuse me, yeah, I can't say. I'm surprised he didn't throw the flux capacitor at her fucking head. I'm surprised she didn't get thrown out. You know, and people coming late to shows. Yeah, you know, I. That's enough on this topic. But it's 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 a very frustrating sort of thing. So when we come back, another frustrating thing, very small, very minor thing. We're going to talk climate change when we come back. So tiny thing, you know, back to the few, you know, it it ties in. JL can tie these things together. You know, we're talking about the future. We're talking about the past. We're going to talk climate change after this quick break. 
And we're back with Rain on Your Parade. That was a fun discussion about theater. Uh, Mike, thanks for, for chiming in. But now I want you to be quiet because this is important. Okay. We're talking about climate change in this segment. And the reason I want to talk about climate change, it's sort of important. I think you'd agree. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's top top 10 issue. It might have been important a few, like a decade ago. But now. Well, we can know, do something about it. Right. Yeah. And the Buckle reason up. the reason I thought of climate is I first want to start with, and I touched on this last week. A little bit, but the uh, the abortion issue. A couple, you know, as of this, when you hear this, everybody. A few weeks ago, there was a lot of votes on election day, and many of them centered around uh, anti-abortion versus pro-choice or pro-life versus anti-life, however you want to phrase it. uh, Issues and all the pro-life, anti-choice sides lost, and. It dawned on me, and I said this on a couple other podcasts I guessed it on, but it, it, it was very clear that, you know, Paul Mooney had, uh, he had the, what he referred to as the N-word wake-up call for, for black people or, or people of color who thought they were white or thought they were fully accepted. And then all of a sudden <laughs> there's that one moment that happens. That's your wake-up call. I thought that. Oh, yeah. I've, yeah. Anyway. I thought this election, this, this round and Trump was a vagina wake-up call. For a lot of women. Yeah. And and those women would largely be, I think, not exclusively, but largely be suburban white women who for so many years have taken for granted what the Democratic Party stands for. In other words, well, yes, I know the Democrats are the pro-choice party and Republicans are pro-life and I'm not like personally down with like the stringent pro-life message, but I'll be fine. Like I'm not going to lose my right to an abortion. That's That's like – that's – that's pie in the sky, aggressive Republican, like fundraising tactic and election scheme, but they're not actually going to do it. I'm safe. So in my safety, I can vote on taxes. Like taxes can go from like seventh most important issue to like two. Yeah. And I can, I can, even though my community maybe isn't overrun by immigrants or we're not really dealing with a crisis at all, I get it. Cause honestly, if that was my neighborhood, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we had some people move in. I wasn't a big fan of them. Uh, but but mainly it was about the feeling safe because you didn't think it could happen. So you were willing to gamble with other people who were more marginalized or lived in those states where it actually could hurt them immediately than you. And then the vagina wake-up call happened. Mm. And Trump, shockingly a man who grabbed women by the pussy and bragged about it, got his hands around yours. And you said... Uh, no, not me. Yeah. And all of a sudden you realized, and to be fair, I say this all the time, but like, if you're a real pro-life, if you're, if you're pro-life, you know, for real, I can respect your, your consistency, your, your ethic, your consistency. You don't have to like it, but, but the person who today is as hardcore pro-life as they were five years ago and is then, then at least we know where you stand. We know where you stand. You, you stand on your principles, whatever they may be, and we can we understand that. It's the people who start going, I'm pro-life. But then once they realize people don't like it, they're like, maybe I'm not as pro-life. Like Nikki Haley's doing the dance of like, I'm personally pro Like she's already doing the I'm personally pro-life. Well, so is fucking Joe Biden. <laughs> like you're trying to have it. Like you, you've, you've ridden the coattails of the hardcore pro-life movement. And now you're like, but I'm trying to pivot to like something that more people will like. Then it's not really a principle. It's not really a guiding principle. You've been lying about that. Your, your guiding principle is ele- being elected. 
And too many voters in this country, and in this case, I think it was white suburban women, were willing to gamble other people's rights because they never thought it would be theirs and were willing to put their taxes above your bodily autonomy. Now that it's their bodily autonomy, they're like, actually, I do care. (laughs) And I think that's very interesting and bodes very poorly for the planet. Because what I'm realizing is it's not the economy stupid, the famous James Carville quote. It's the selfishness stupid. And until everything can be selfish, the climate, once the climate is a selfish issue, we're done. It's like, yeah, once three of your family members drown in a coastal tidal wave or burn up in a, in a, in a fire, that's too late for you to like, be like, uh, okay, I changed my, no, 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 no. The, the mind, the, there's no time to change the mind. There's no room to change the mind. We need a climate wake up call. Okay. Right now, which we're not having. Well, well, hold on. What, what else do we need? What, what else do, do people need to see that don't believe? This was, this summer ha- was brutal. Yeah, but we and, and here's the problem. It happens to a few fa- farmers in the Midwest. It happens to Californians. Maybe that's God burning them up in the fires of perdition for all their gay homosexual ways. You ever think about that podcast, Mike? <laughs> I didn't know. Well, I that, Hawaii. The sinners <laughs> of Miami f- being flooded by the Lord is just punishment for their transgressions and their only fans. If New York gets flooded, guess what? Okay, all them greedy Jewish people, <laughs> it's just a fact. Drowning in their wealth is divine retribution. As long as I'm safe in Texas, Wyoming, North Dakota, as long as I'm safe there, we all good. That's why. That's the answer to your question. Okay. Is it's got to be your house. It's got to be your friend, your sister, your son, your daughter. Your your house in North Dakota needs to explode <laughs> for you to go, I guess we should be going to be climate change, Al Gore. <laughs> That's but that's that's the answer. It's not immediate enough. It's immediate on a planetary level, but you think when some uh, when when thousands of Bangladeshis drown, there's going to be a come to Jesus moment for all the fake Jesus followers in the Republican Party? Of course not. <laughs> well, you know that's why America is a blessed place because we don't have Bangladeshis drowning. <laughs> oh, but uh, a, a million people died in a, in a heat wave in India. By the way, a book that I review in my book reviews on my YouTube, uh, the, uh, the Ministry of the Future, terrifying climate change science fiction, like not, but really emphasis on the science. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it kind of has this moment where a, the, the book opens with a massive heat wave, like in the future in India. Massive meaning kills millions. Yeah. Not kills thousands, millions. And it drives certain Indian people to become like global eco-terrorists where it's like they're taking down planes because it's like, no, 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 you, I, I don't think you understand. This has to stop. This way of life has to stop. Not like, hey, we got hybrids now. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like they start bombing planes, not for like ideological, for like climate reasons. They're like, we need to stop air travel. And it's, it's an amazing book because it felt so much more science than fiction. Mm-hmm. But that's what it took. And it's a crazy, it's to me, it's, it's this crazy thing where you say, how much more does it take? Well, on a global scale, we're there, but Americans 
you know, the only thing we love more than being individuals is like retreating to that out of fear and going, well, it's not happening. I'm, I'm, you can't make me. You can't make me. And I think we're in real trouble because I see things whenever I see, I see it in my daily life. I try to like see, well, how can we change people's habits? Our habits have gotten worse, not better. I saw oh, a person yeah. in my building uh, last year ordering food. A lot of people do this. I like to go for a walk. <laughs> you know what to I mean? Pick it up. Yeah, I like. Yeah. I like to eat in restaurants. I'm happy when we could get back to eating in restaurants. I takeout or delivery is like almost a bad weather or late night thing for me. I see people getting their breakfast delivered now. I, uh, guilty, unfortunately. You Sorry, know, dude. But to be, <laughs> but I'm I'm running a business. <laughs> the one thing I will also say is, um, where I'm at in Jersey, it's all car. Like you might have a guy yeah. on a bike delivering you. At least there's no like ecological damage really sure, if it's a guy sure. on a bike. But still, I mean, like, I if get, you look no, at the micro, no, I think plastics. you're a disgrace. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I think you're disgraceful. <laughs> yeah, sure. But I think that when I see somebody getting their breakfast, like, I'm just really, like, whatever. It could be an isolated incident. But the one that stuck out to me was when I saw a woman waiting and a guy in a car arrived, presumably a seamless or DoorDash, handed her a bag from Wendy's. Okay. Okay. You wanted Wendy's, I get it. Maybe you don't have a car. It's a mile away. But she kept, she kept waiting. And another car pulled up with a, with a bag from McDonald's. And I was like, we're fucking done. I've done this as well. But yes, you're right. It's, it, is, it is grotesque. At least it's grotesque. you can't settle on. <laughs> now, well, I don't want to just have one fast, but can they feed it? Can a third person arrive to feed me my French fries? Because fuck the planet in every possible way. It's. Well then, I'm glad you're here because you know what? Listen, I might be, I might be, I might be a, I might be a, a an eco terrorist piglet, but I'm not a hypocrite. Well, you're on this show, <laughs> and now I'm branded with your eco terrorism. But it was one that was an eye opening moment for me because I was like, oh, I guess we can do that if yeah. we're willing. Like now, we can have two people driving cars to pick up thirteen dollars worth of food from two different locations. And it blew my mind. And then, of course, I see commercials for Gold Belly, which is like the extreme version of this. Now, the Ivy ship like like Grace Papaya across the country. Yeah, it's like yeah. I had really good mashed potatoes in Wyoming. <laughs> yes. Could you mail? <laughs> could you put these on a plane <laughs> yeah, yeah. and deliver me Mama's mashed potatoes yes. from Cheyenne, Wyoming, please? Yeah. That should be illegal. <laughs> I'm sorry. That should be illegal in this day and age. You know, like it's hard to argue. I mean, like, it, it, the, <laughs> but this is the thing, this is the thing, JL. <laughs> to your point, I do think convenience is king, and I think that that's why I wrote a blog several years ago that I will I will share. Perhaps maybe I'll send it to you to put in the show notes for this episode. It was called "Convenience is Killing Us," and yeah. then I saw some guy like a year later wrote one on his like meat. I was like, "Get out of here!" Yeah, he cited me at last. Get out of here! Damn, I did that first. Yeah, I did. I did it first, <laughs> like Ray J. I hit it first. Yeah. I don't think Ray J was first, by the way. No. I was first compared to Kanye. I was the song should have been I was before you, Kanye. I was 31st. <laughs> um but it's it's like when I see Gold Belt, I'm just like, what a great idea. And then I go, wait, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. And that's why like little things I can do. I stopped using Amazon. Like I use Amazon in in emergencies for like props, yeah. but I don't use Amazon for anything. But I don't like when I order books from Barnes and Noble, I've little thing, but I do pick up in store. 
because I'm a book. There are so many things that are not urgent. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, it's convenient. No, no, no. At least important. I think important should replace convenient in the way we think about things because there are things you well, need delivered. You need, like, I get it. So, JL, this is the thing. I think that it, I think our generation and the generations before us are very responsible for the convenience killing us. Yes. But I do think as annoying as Gen Z and Gen Alpha are. Who the uh, hell are they? They're the ones behind Gen Z. How old are they? Kids. They're like kids. Like like all of them are kids or like if I hooked up with like a Gen Alpha person? I think if you hooked up with a Gen Alpha, you'd be in big trouble. There's no 18-year-old Gen Alphas? I don't so, think so. So he lied to me? <laughs> 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 but I do think they care about the importance of these things. I do think, and I think that's why a lot of like older generations are just like, fuck these kids. Right. Who do they think they are? But there, I think picking up the mantle of, of like, we really do have to worry about this because otherwise this is going to be Can we a get big somebody problem. a little less oppressive than Greta Thunberg, though? She's a little harsh. Sure, I guess. I hadn't thought about Greta in a while, but like, yeah, I mean. Was it, she Gen Z? I think she's Gen Z. Okay. Yeah. Um, she, like, but it's, yes. And I think that's what I would say. My ethos would be, we need to replace convenient with important. So yeah. I'm not trying to deny you good services that we've developed. I'm trying to say no more gold belly, no more like three orders from three different restaurants. Cause like, you like the fries there. Yeah. You like this, like at least when my brother does that, he picks it up. Yeah, sure. He, you know, like, because yeah. he likes the fries in one place. And I, but I just think um, we're in, we're in real, we're in real trouble. And I just want to see, there was one other point. I, I don't like to show that I'm, uh, to claim, don't know what that says. Can't read my uh, handwriting. That's good comedy. Um, but I think climate has to be the next thing that we have to learn our lesson. Democrats, centrists, people who care about the future. There are Republicans who care about climate also. It is the most important issue. That's not saying it's the only important issue, but this shit is, to put it in terms that maybe some people can understand, this is the white walkers of issues. There are other issues. Do I want Cersei to get away with her bullshit with the mountain? Of course not. But as we saw, Cersei didn't join in Game of Thrones. She was the one holdout who was like, I'll be selfish. Don't be her. The lesson is don't be the incestuous murdering queen be part of the solution. And I think it is the most important issue. And if you got your vagina wake up call from all the, what Trump did, who Trump simply act, I never give Trump compliments. All he did was exactly what he said he would do. Mm -hmm. That's what Trump did. He was the first Republican to run on the dystopian women hating future, but he did it. You voted for it because you thought, man, really just taxes really just taxes. Nope. Not just taxes. Okay. So you got the vagina wake up call a little late. It's too late for some of the women already in the year or two years who had to, who couldn't have care or had to do some back alley shit. It's too late for them. The climate has to be now. It has to be now because the, when the wake up call comes for every one of us, it's because we are burning and drowning. It's too late once that call comes. So I just think, I hope that that more people just realize you got to live a little differently. I think we need to live a lot differently. And the one thing I was, one last point on this, because this is what I want to say. 
I think in general, we don't have a sense of helping the community anymore. Um, you know, John F. Kennedy said, don't ask what you, your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Well, if we said that today, Republicans would get people mad that the president was blaming them. <laughs> and then liberals would say, um, I feel triggered that you're putting this on me. You're the government and nobody would do anything. We'd be, be both sides would be offended by that statement for some reason. But I often think, what if somebody said for half your take home pay after you pay your rent, your health insurance, whatever your necessities are, we're going to take half of your remaining pay. And I can tell you that no one will be without health insurance and no one will be unhoused. I would take that deal and it would make my life a little more difficult, but not that much. Because I just even said your, 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 your facilities are guaranteed. Your necessities are guaranteed. And I question how many people would take that to know that we have done so much because we complain about homelessness as, a, as, a, as an assault on Democrats, not as a we've got to do something for the homeless. And I, I would just be curious if we could change society in that way. Maybe I'm starting to sound like a Democrat socialist. I don't care. I'm just curious as an intellectual exercise. If I could promise you two of the greatest problems we're dealing with in this country could be eradicated, but you could, you would have to take one less vacation, see 10 less movies, see whatever that, whatever the, the math would be on that. How many of us would really do that? And I think the answer is not as many as, as should, and not as many as we need. So get your climate wake up call. You got your vagina wake up call. I hope to the millions and millions who listen to this, that they heed the climate wake-up call. Anyway, uh, Mike's favorite section coming up next. It's Comedy Talk. Back in a minute. And now, from the Slickback Studios newsroom in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, here is Scott Pelley with a Rain on Your Parade special reports. I'm Scott Pelley on assignment from 60 Minutes for this week's Punchdown of the Week. Earlier this week, JL wrote on X, formerly known as Twitter, Me, one ticket to Taylor Swift's movie, please. What the theater employee sees, and he posted a picture of disgraced trainer Larry Nasser implying with the joke that even though he's innocently buying a ticket to Taylor Swift's movie, the employee sees him as a potential child molester. The comment in reply to that, and this week's punchdown of the week, was, and we're trying to find it, excuse me, let me put on my glasses. <laughs> Scott, what happened? The, the reply was... Try buying four tickets. Completely unnecessary. And the person added a laugh emoji to their response, but only gave JL a thumbs up for the initial joke. Absolutely disgraceful. You're the punch down of the week. Oh, JL, you're back. Hey, everybody. How are you? Like, I love it when Scott just lets me get that bathroom break in during the show. He's great, isn't he? Isn't he so nice to do the punch down for Bubbly us? Bubbly is yeah. how I describe Scott. Pelley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great guy. Anyway, I mean, what's up with you? you? Know, he's like like some of these guys, like a Brian Williams. Like, you know, Brian Williams is pissed that he can't be doing comedy here. Yeah. Like Scott Pelly's thrilled that he gets to just flex his comedy chops a little bit. Yeah. But I got uh, a special to discuss in this week's Comedy Corner. 
Um, and I, I didn't look up the title cause I was so, I was helping Scott, Pelley. you know, when you get somebody like Scott Pelley, you help him yeah. with, the, with the stuff. Of course, but um, even being a producer, but it's from Dina Hashem and, uh, what's her special title? This is what I need to find out. You'd think it would come up right away. No offense to her, but it's the biggest thing that she, oh, there we go. Here it is. Dina Hashem's new special on Amazon prime. Uh, which I already said I don't use Amazon. It's my girlfriend's Amazon Prime account. <laughs> okay, that's how I keep these hands clean. Uh-huh. But I use it only for streaming. I don't think streaming is... There's a robust competition in the streaming market, whereas shipping and cloud computing, I can't remove myself from their cloud service. Uh, but I don't use their stuff for for goods and services. Just uh, Anyway, I already seem like enough of a hypocrite. Dina Hashem, her stand-up special, Dark Little Whispers on Amazon Prime. No, I watched this. I had seen, I think, uh, comedian Sam Morrill was one of her producers on this. Yeah. And I think she opens for him in a lot of his shows on the road. I believe so, yeah. Um, so now I know who to take out if I need to maybe bump up myself in the feature world. <laughs> uh, but I watched this out of curiosity. I hear her name enough. And and I always, a lot of people throw, I've seen this especially around women, but it's often used for drier comics who really aren't that funny or hilarious, but you go, oh, she's a great writer. I think you even kind of instinctively said it. Yeah, but I meant it. Not, no, like, no, I meant not, it, but you know what I mean yeah. when people are like, oh, great writer. It's like your way of kind of being, I, whenever somebody talks about my comedy, unless I'm writing scripts or sketches, I want them to go, oh, really funny. Asshole, but really funny. Whereas great writer, even if it's true, it's like, but you do comedy, you want the total package recognized sure. first yeah, yeah. before you start parsing it into what works and what doesn't. So I was a little primed for her to be kind of like a downer with some witty jokes and like, but I was, I was praying, but what I saw, it was a really good special. I was really happy with it from almost start to finish. The key test is I call it when I can predict a joke that's coming, I call it a pick six. That's my invention, not the pick six in football, but the comedic pick six. When I see a punchline coming and call it, Laura has seen me do this with specials where I've called out six or seven punchlines in a half hour. And not always obvious ones, but I'm like, I know where this person's going. She only got one. She got one pick six in 47 minutes. That's good. That's a, that is good. Yeah. That's a good test. Um, now I was disappointed when I got it because it was real obvious. (laughs) You know, everybody's got a few, right? Sure. And, and the fact is it was almost like she piled all her pick sixes into one pick six. I I had, I had a few pick sixes in my act. I I, I had a lot of, oh, (laughs) (laughs) she walks up to me and says, everybody, by the way, loves Jean Luigi Covini. So I know there'll be no slander. (laughs) There'll be no slander for JLC. <laughs> hey, so we're watching Dina Hashem doing a wreck. But I, I really enjoyed it because what I'll say about it is she has a low-key demeanor on stage. Yes. But it's not what I hate, which is when it veers into, I'm doing a character. And you're going to laugh at the character of like, I'm downer, girl. Here's a witty joke. But it's made even funnier because I'm like totally not into it. It met, it felt much more authentic, much more like she's just low key, not like I'm low key. Cause this works, yeah. but like I'm being authentic on stage, really good jokes. Um, funny, pretty much throughout. So, uh, it's just a strong recommend and, and I'm happy because I do go into, I'm such a comedy cynic that I go in with preconceived notions. I I've seen the, she's a really good joke writer. 
And that triggers in me like, okay, does this mean it's like on paper, she's good, but the performance is going to be wanting? Really enjoyed it. So uh, Dina Hashem, what did I say? Dark Little Thoughts? What's it's new on Amazon Prime. Dina Hashem, her new special. I think yeah, it's dark, dark little thoughts, dark, dark little voices. I can't remember. Dark little people. Yeah, D- uh, Dina is very authentic. That is how she is off stage. I came up with Dina. Uh, she, I mean, she blew, dark little whispers. Apologies, dark little, dark little whispers. Dark little whispers. Uh, Dina blew past me uh, pretty quickly, and uh, but she was always extremely lovely and nice, and um, definitely. She's she's not it's not a character. She's like that off stage. And I've always I've always loved her and thought she was really funny. She used to remember when roast battles were like a really big deal. Yeah. She she used to dominate those. She was really good on those. Um and that's why I always say she's a great writer cuz I you have to be to be good at that. When I think of like somebody who's really funny and I don't think of a great writer, I think of like JB Smoove, another person who I love dearly. Oh, also but, not the greatest talker. <laughs> yeah, right. But he's like the type of dude that just like he makes you laugh. He just like can't not I, make you laugh. No one humps a stool better. Yeah, he's, seriously. He's <laughs> I I love it. I think he's so funny. But uh, Dina, yeah, I mean, I do think I just think immediately fabulous writer just because of how well I knew her in the scene and how like what I would see her do. She just used right. to destroy people on those roasts. I well, mean, you, I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear this. Uh, I only did one roast battle in my life. It was part of like a festival. It's and not I, you. I eviscerated the like I'm sure I Oppenheimered him. Yeah. <laughs> but I never wanted to do it because I was just like, can I get a set? Yeah. Can I, now we're going through the phase where for the next year and a half, the only way to get into a comedy club is to basically roast someone you don't know, which yeah. means either doing a lot of research, which I would, which I did when I destroyed this. I mean, I fucking destroyed this, but, or it's, we're going to make fun of appearances because I don't actually know right. this person very well. Yeah. And it was like, it felt so redundant. Yeah. Um, but John Luigi looking like his mom makes him a dinner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Look at this guy. This guy. Hey, oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, Dina Hashem, a, a strong recommendation. I was, I was very, I always like being pleasantly surprised. Um, not that I didn't think it wouldn't be good, but I was like, is this going to be good? And I don't really give a shit. It's like, whatever. But yeah. I was like, I finished it. And I was like, that was good. That was, that was a worthwhile 48 minutes of stand up comedy. I mean, would I have liked it to have been a full hour? I mean, come on. Why are you cheating on the exam? But the point is, it was good. It was really good. I enjoyed it. I recommend it. I don't think anybody out there to uh, really any any real comedy fan would disagree with me. So yeah. if you haven't watched it yet, watch it because you're missing out. So there you go. We end on a positive note. Society's crumbling. The climate is destroying. But Dina Hashem, if the world's burning up, make sure you watch those uh, 48 minutes. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's it, guys. Thanks for tuning in, whether you're listening or watching. Remember, if you like to support the show, join my Patreon, patreon.com slash jocovan. I am going to be in St. Petersburg, Florida, February 9th and 10th for shows. Ticket link coming soon. Um, beyond that, you know, I got Making Podcasts Great Again, yada, yada, yada. Have a great week. Uh, give us re- Review us on a podcast platform or, or give a thumbs up on the YouTube video or both. And we'll uh, see you next Thursday.